This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. I guess the end of the semester is winding down for you all. It is, and we have exams next week, Liz. Good morning. Uh, you know, uh, I know it's a stressful time for law students, um, but uh, I know there'll be uh, those that are getting ready to graduate. We're excited for them. Uh, I know they're going to do great things. We have really uh, wonderful students here. And the ones who are in their first or second year will appreciate um, having the summer. Uh, and by the way, congratulations. I know you're a Kraken fan. Um, a Seattle Kraken fan. They are a brand new team and they are uh, doing well in their playoff series. My, my Lightning are not doing as well. So we'll move away from hockey and welcome our guest today, attorney uh, Francis Springer, who has been a frequent guest. And we really appreciate his time on the show. It's always a pleasure to welcome you, Francis. Good morning. Um, you know, family law, you do a lot of different areas of the law. You've talked criminal law on the, on the show before, but now, today we're going to be talking family law, and that's, a, that's a, I think, a particularly difficult area of the law to practice in. How did you become interested, interested in uh, family law? Well, it's good to be here again. Good morning to you as well, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I really began family law, I guess, when I opened my law firm, when I was right out of how, high school, not high school, law school. And uh, the Mississippi Volunteer Lawyers Project, which is a pro bono uh, initiative here in the central part of the state, and I know you've got uh, one in your part of the state, North Mississippi, Rural Legal Services, I believe. Anyway, both of them are great institutions, but what MVLP did or does, and I think each of them do, but they have cases, uh, divorce cases, many that are uncontested, rather simple divorce cases that people need assistance with. So I started taking some of those on just to see if I could get the experience, get familiar with the courts, and uh, help some people out. And I just kind of got, I guess, a, a little hang for it. And um, divorce is a, a emotional thing, to say the least. And I just enjoy being able to help people get through it the best they can. Well, it is important to, to think about that. I mean, it's, it's more than just the law. Right? I mean, you're having to be kind of a, a, a psychologist or at least a, a you know, a uh, you know, someone who could help them with those emotional issues. And, exactly. Um, when people start a business, they expect the business to succeed. When people get married, they expect the marriage to succeed as well. But statistically, there's always a possibility that a business will fail or a marriage will fail. And it's interesting because when people enter into a business, they usually have a business plan. But that's not really true necessarily with marriages. So is a prenuptial agreement you know, kind of a, a business plan for marriage is a prenuptial agreement, a good idea to have. It, it's like every question, I guess, when it comes to law, it depends. And uh, prenuptial agreements are essentially just that. They're agreements made pre-marriage, before the marriage, that answer the questions of what will be done with uh, real and personal property if the marriage were to end in divorce or the death of the particular spouse. 
a lot of times people will enter a marriage with a, a good deal of wealth or property and the family gets concerned about what's going to happen because you know in a marriage in mississippi property can become the the property of both property that was uh, owned by one before the marriage so that kind of helps answer some questions i don't think in anticipation that i'm going to get a divorce but because things change that uh, many of those questions would have already been answered we would love for our listeners to participate in our show today if you have a question about yeah, maybe you need to start taking steps to prepare for a divorce or you have a family member going through a divorce and you'd like a little information to help them out. We would love for you to send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. And of course, we are very discreet. If you don't want to say your name, we'd love to have uh, John from Jackson or uh, uh, Mary from Meridian if you want to participate in our show. You know, I like to read the advice columns. That's what I pull up on my Discover on my, on my phone when I'm looking. Sure. And so many times they'll have... You know, someone is in a second marriage and they're saying, you know, when I die, I want to give money to my spouse, but then will my money all go to their kids, not my kids? And I guess a prenuptial agreement, in addition to a will, could be a way, you know, if you if you got I guess if you got a divorce, you know, having a, a prenuptial agreement would specify you know who where where money would go it, it does uh the, the difference would be the the prenuptial agreement is going to exist period basically it's going to go on unless both parties decide to to uh, end it so to give something to an organization or something like that at the at the entrance of a marriage that would have to be recognized all the way through and those things change sometimes so sometimes that's best handled with the will you know, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, we talk about the uh, prenuptial agreement. How are they ever not enforceable? Um, you know, I, I, when, when would that you know, be a situation where, um, you know, the, the court would say, well, this is not enforceable? Historically, courts uh, have, have not wanted to enforce them because they kind of feel like they're in anticipation of divorce. And the courts and the law don't favor divorce, uh, especially in Mississippi. But they do, even Mississippi courts recognize them. As long as they're drafted correctly, there there are certain things that have to be in there. There has to be full disclosure of all the assets that will be put in the prenuptial agreement and that exist. So if there's something comes up later where, a, a say, a half a million dollars or somewhere was not mentioned, uh, it's probably going to not be enforceable at that point. We have a call that we're going to go to. In Horn Lake, David has called. David, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Attorney Francis Springer? I got a question I want to ask you. Uh, my nephew is trying. Let me get my tongue in my head. Uh, my nephew is currently separated from his wife. You know, he lives in Horn Lake. She moved to Memphis. Uh, if it ends up in divorce, but it looks like it's going to be, how would the jurisdiction? jurisdiction or, or legal uh, uh, basis would be for child support. Would it be Tennessee? Because they have a more aggressive child support uh, minimum basis deal. Would it be in Mississippi? That's an interesting issue because it does come up. Uh, 
either state could have jurisdiction if if the party that moves to Memphis is there for. And I'm pretty sure Tennessee law is the same as Mississippi. I'm, I'm no, uh, I don't practice in Tennessee, but but almost all states are the same. If they're a resident there for six months, the courts there could have jurisdiction over the marriage. Now, questions regarding property in Mississippi and the the spouse that's in Mississippi that have to do with child custody or child support, largely that's going to be decided by Mississippi courts. So the, the divorce may be granted on the other state, but Mississippi doesn't have ancillary jurisdiction with uh, other states such as Tennessee, so they would have to uh, come to a Mississippi court wherever the party in Mississippi lives. All right. Thanks, David. Okay, you, you said a big word, ancillary jurisdiction. I I did not take the uh, law school vocabulary test. What what uh, what does that mean? That was a big one. It's kind of like uh, cooperative jurisdiction, I guess, like, uh, say, an Alabama court. They can't make decisions over property disbursements in Mississippi. So that would kind of be ancillary jurisdiction if they could do that. Okay. Let's go to Biloxi and see what Craig has to ask. Craig, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yeah, I was wondering where you keep your documents, you know, both a will and a uh, prenuptial agreement. Can you file them with a county or keep them in a uh, safety deposit box or, or your attorney? I mean, that's a lot of money to be trusted with, you know, someone just laying around. Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, it depends on where the parties agree that it's to be kept. Uh, safety deposit boxes sometimes are not great uh, because if the person that owns the box is the one that has deceased, uh, how do you get in the box? You have to go to the court and get a court order because the bank's not going to let anyone else in there. So I don't recommend putting them in safety deposit boxes. I would uh, recommend putting it with someone that you trust someone that you know will keep it keep it secure and, and confidential because most people don't want uh, anyone knowing what's in there. Uh, attorneys may keep them. Uh, they'll probably charge to keep them because they would be responsible for them. But there's uh, that's an interesting question that is changing over the electronic age. I've seen some uh, online services, I think, that say they will hold them. But again, a lot of times you need the original. You need something that's not an electronic document so uh, it's a good question so if if you have a prenuptial agreement by definition both parties have signed it and i think both parties would have a copy of it they should they should so if you don't want to go losing that paper um so if you need to enforce it or you want to invoke it when divorce or separation time comes you need to be an organized bookkeeper Absolutely. and have your piece of paper there. Absolutely. And, and again, you know, if somebody puts that together, they're probably going to be thinking about that. But uh, when it comes to times like that, there's a lot of documents that people don't know where are. So it's a it's a, a good question. And it's something that you have to think about ahead of time. Thanks, Craig. It, we Craig. appreciate you bringing that up. And those principles are an important point. A lot of banks are moving away from safe deposit boxes just because they're expensive to keep. And they take up a lot of space. And with with now things stored in the cloud and more documents, legal documents being allowed electronically, you're probably going to see you're probably going to have less opportunity to even use a, you know a bank safe deposit box. So uh, I think it's important to to keep it you know keep an eye on you know how those things are stored electronically. Really important point. Exactly. 
you can send us your email questions to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing divorce. Maybe it's a good a good topic or a sad topic. I guess it uh, it depends on your situation. Hey, do you like statistics? I've got one you might not like next. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of the program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.com mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, baby boomer divorce rates have risen dramatically over the last 30 years. So-called gray divorce rates amongst adults age 50 plus And that gets into Gen X now. The national divorce rate has roughly doubled since 1990. For those age 65 plus, it has actually tripled from two in 1,000 married persons to six in 1,000 married people. This indicates people over 50 are more likely to get divorced now than ever before. I guess they just can't take it anymore. Uh, Well, I don't know. We're talking about divorce with our guest, attorney Francis Springer from Springer Law Firm. I guess things do change. So, you know, sometimes somebody may need one. Well, and maybe less stigma to it. True, true. And, you know, people are living longer, too. And I think, you know, somebody's been married to somebody for 40 years, and all of a sudden they say, well, we've changed, you know. And I think that uh, is reflective of uh, longer life expectancies, things like that. But if I ever get divorced, it's totally my fault because I'm married to an amazing person. <laughs> Wait, uh, very lucky. That's too but, <laughs> but let's say somebody's thinking about uh, getting a divorce, right? I mean, it, you know, it's it's a process. And so, if they're thinking about getting a divorce, when should they contact an attorney? I would recommend the sooner the better. You you need there are, there are things that you need to know that you need to anticipate for and basically having a better understanding of the process and and the potential outcomes could possibly influence how you go about it or even if you go about it. So meeting with an attorney and getting a consultation, which most attorneys have to charge for those because once you meet with an attorney, uh, they can't represent the other party. So in smaller towns, things like that. You're not going to get a consultation without having to pay for it, I'm sure, in, in most places. But uh, you do need to know the law because the law has so many different things that it does with marriage and divorce. So like everything else, the more knowledge you have, the better off you are. And and so if somebody comes to you and says, I want to have a, I want a divorce, you talk to them, and then they later change their mind. Is that okay? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, really up to the point of the final order because a divorce action can be dismissed like any other lawsuit if the parties uh, reconcile or anything like that. Or just because you talk to a lawyer, it doesn't even have to be filed. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that can go on. But up to the really the final order, I guess theoretically you can say, stop, we want to quit. So. Oh, and folks, this is your time to ask a lawyer a question about divorce without a consultation fee. So if you have a question about uh, initiating a divorce or 
a, a story you've heard, or if you want to share your experience with us, we would love to add you to our program. Send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. So, Francis, somebody comes to you, they are now sure that they want to get a divorce. And what should they bring to you? What should they be prepared? Because there's there's work you do for them as a lawyer, but uh, a client has work to do, too. So what do they have to bring to your office to make your job easier? Uh, there could be several different things, and I've I've had uh, people come to me that have been married uh, fifty plus years. Uh, that's rare, and I've also had them come to me that have been married less than six months. So sometimes one of the first things I want to see is the marriage certificate to make sure that it is a valid marriage and where it took place. Because uh, if it's not valid under the state laws, or there are certain things that can be done differently. But in addition to that, probably with every uh, divorce situation, you need to see financial statements. You need to see tax returns. Those all need to be secured. don't necessarily need to see those to begin with, but they will be called for, especially if children and uh, child support is involved because the court is going to make a determination on child support and uh, distribution of the assets based on many of those things. We have a email and this may be for this show, and we also, I can recommend a, another show that might be able to answer this. This was from uh, a person. Hi, my husband and I have been married 13 years. We are both in our late 70s. His Social Security payments are about $1,300 per month. Mine are much less. If we divorce, do I receive some of his Social Security before his death? How would that affect his Social Security? Would his payment decrease? Thanks. Is this anything either of you could answer? That's one I would have to research a little bit because I've not dealt with any that uh, have Social Security benefits that would be a, a consideration of a divorce. I really don't know the answer to that question. Professor Gershon? Well, if, if someone's married at least 10 years, it sounds like they have been, and, and they're uh, – at least 62 years old, um, then the benefits wouldn't change according to uh, the Social Security website. So that's, uh, you know, that's something they should uh, just verify. That was a quick look at that. Um, but that's kind of was my recollection anyway, that, um, that divorce doesn't necessarily affect it. And in fact, if you've got one spouse that hasn't been working, uh, well, they've been raising children, which is working, but they haven't been earning and the other spouse has, and they get divorced, there is a point at which I, after 10 years, that spouse is entitled to the credits earned by the other spouse as well. So it's it's a little bit complex, but it's, uh, it's worth looking into. It should not change those benefits based on that question. And I would also like to put a plug in for our Tuesday 9 a.m. show, Money Talks. They often have Social Security Administration Manager Sean Mercer on the show to take Social Security questions. He is fantastic. And also, if you email money at mpbonline.org, they can get Social Security questions to Sean to uh, help you answer those things. I know that's been a thing of yin, 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 <laughs> getting a divorce. Can I get his money? Can he get my money? And, and All that build, kind of thing. I'm sorry. To build off one thing that uh, Professor Gerson said is the Social Security Administration website. 
the the federal websites on on I know taxes uh, and many other things that apply to people, Social Security Administration, even the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act. They have got some really basic, good questions. I hope I'm not taking any money off any attorney's uh, table right now, but I could be. Uh, but you still need legal advice to apply those. But as far as answering the basic questions, I would try to Google that. Fantastic. Let's go to Ridgeland and speak with Rocco. Rocco, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today. Our guest is attorney Francis Springer. What is your comment or question? If you get an inheritance while you're married and you do not commingle the funds, does that money become community property and have to be split in the case of a divorce? Generally, no. There would have to be some uh, really commingling or family considerations of the assets that were that were made that way. But if they're kept separate and it is an inheritance and it is to the one spouse, the other spouse almost has no rights to it. Okay, thank you. Sure, thank you. Good to know that. Yeah, in fact, yeah, really, uh, when you think about it, I mean, what, what Mississippi does is called uh, equitable distribution, but it's a lot like community property in some respects because there's separate property and then there's kind of the marital property. Right. And there's you know, that, that category of separate property, which is good to know. But it's important. I think it's important that you keep that thing, that property separate if you want to make sure, or if you're thinking about getting divorced, that your spouse doesn't uh, have an opportunity to, to take it in a, in a property settlement. Absolutely. Yep. Like uh, perhaps a house that's, that's left to someone, that could very easily become marital property over time. So those are things that you do need to check with an attorney about if you have that concern. And you can check with an attorney right here, right now. This is your free chance to ask an attorney a question, and you don't have to use your real name. Uh, we can come up with lots of fun uh, nom de plumes for you, so if you don't want to uh, uh, give your own name. You can email us your questions. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with attorney Francis Springer about divorce. So how does the U.S. compare to the rest of the world with respect to divorce? I always like to compare to kind of see where we are. How are we doing? I'll tell you that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast or... You can find all the MPB Think Radio recordings on the station's website, mpbonline.org slash radio. So did you know that America has the third highest divorce rate in the world? We're after the Maldives and Belarus. I think I've seen the Maldives maybe like on Amazing Race or something. I think they're like exotic islands somewhere in the off of between Africa and India. Sounds like a practice soccer match for some good European soccer team. <laughs> Maldives versus Belarus. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing about the United States, and, and I can't speak to any other country, but really we're, we're guided by divorce by 50 different laws because each state basically has its own you know laws on divorce. And we definitely have customs from different areas. So uh, that's not, I guess, really surprising, but I've never looked into it like that. That is a, a large number. All right. We're talking about divorce today, and we're so pleased that our guest, uh, Attorney Francis Springer, was able to join us today. And, and Francis, we really do appreciate you being here. And one uh, My pleasure. 
Well, we're, it's always great to have you. One one thing that I you know we're talking about is just uh, preparation for the divorce. People are you know someone who knows they're going to get a divorce, and they you talked about the documents they need to bring, but can they, in anticipation of this divorce, then start saying, "Well, I'm going to start taking money out of bank accounts and uh, you know leading assets uh, so they won't be available for my soon-to-be former spouse." That's a yes and no, um, as long as it's something that the spouse um, has rights to as a joint account or, or a, a solely owned account that may have become some type of commingled in the marriage. If you, nothing says you can't draw it out of there. Now, one thing that you do have to keep in mind is those amounts are going to be recorded, and when it comes down to time for the chancellor to decide who gets what, that's going to be in that. So, I mean, it just doesn't come in and go away if it's – Spundered or, or spent or whatever, um, somebody's not going to be happy, and it's going to be a chance court judge. So I would be very cautious in doing that. Yeah, I mean, everything has records now. You can tell whose Visa card used what and Absolutely. who made the withdrawal. So uh, that's something I hadn't even hadn't thought about. And if bills are being drafted from an account and it goes uh, empty all of a sudden, you know, there's potential credit injury that both could suffer for that so uh, i wouldn't recommend running out and doing anything like that well i know you know uh divorce can be a nasty business and uh, especially if it goes to trial uh and so one option for people is mediation and some states i know some states if their children involved require mediation before for trial right uh, mississippi doesn't so why would someone want to go to mediation and what is mediation? Mediation is essentially when you have a third party that comes into the negotiations. They try to size up the case on, in light of both sides and contribute that to the area, the uh, particular chancellor sometimes, because each chancellor uh, makes their own determinations based on how they see things. So a mediator could come in and say, look, you know, you need to think about this. If you go to trial, you may get this, but you may not get this. And it kind of helps a third party come in from both sides and say, you know, you need to consider this. And, you know, maybe that's not been considered. And more and more judges in Mississippi are requiring mediation, though it's not required by rule or law. Uh, I've seen several lately that before they will give a scheduling order on a trial, they want a mediation to have taken place to some degree. Uh, So it can be a good thing. And one thing I learned long ago, I heard it, but then I learned it as well. It's better to go in chancery court knowing what you're walking out with than to have the judge decide, because usually somebody's not going to like something the judge has decided. So mediation is not a bad route to go. Okay, well, back, back to our vocabulary lesson. You mentioned chancellor. Is that a chancery court judge? What is chancellor? It is. Those are chancery court judges. And uh, in Mississippi, that's where divorce goes through is chancery court. Uh, now, the chancellors, chancellors do have assistance. They have family masters and uh, special masters they can assign parts of the case to. But the ultimate decision at the end of the case is either going to be decided or approved by the uh, chancery judge, which is the chancellor. So I would think it would behoove the couple to medi- go into mediation so that maybe they have a better say of how it's going to happen. Usually, usually it is better. Well, you know, let's, let's say that... Uh, we don't go to mediation, and, and uh, I want a divorce, but my spouse doesn't. Uh, and a lot of states have true no-fault divorces, where I can still, if I say that marriage is irreconcilably broken, I can go to 
uh, get a divorce. Can, can I do that in Mississippi? Uh, just saying that this is an irretrievably broken marriage uh, if my, my spouse doesn't want to get a divorce. Uh, no, Mississippi doesn't have a, a traditional no-fault divorce. Uh, you have to have grounds for divorce, or both parties have to agree that their differences are irreconcilable, and that's what they would get as an irreconcilable differences divorce. Um, it's one of the few contracts that can't be breached or broken just by will in uh, all of the law, especially Mississippi. But there, if you can't prove one of the 12 uh, grounds for divorce and the parties don't agree, uh, they can't get a divorce. I, here's a here's a off off topic question. I got married uh, in ninety one, and at about that time, they were talking about covenant marriages, and that was supposed to be a little harder to get divorced because of. Is that was that ever a thing? I didn't get married in Mississippi. Was that ever a thing here? The only place I know of that has covenant marriages near here is Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mississippi doesn't have anything that would be different. And um, I can't remember the details, but it seems like it's only maybe adultery where uh, a, a marriage would be ended by divorce in that regard. And I'm no expert on that. I'm trying to remember from law school. But uh, I think Louisiana is the only one at least close by that has covenant marriages. But, it, but it's still hard to get divorced in Mississippi because of the the fault-based grounds. And I know we had someone, a uh, commission that was uh, appointed, and we, we talked about, uh, Professor Debbie Bell was one of the people on that commission, we talked about the commission recommending to the legislature to uh, not require proof of fault, because uh, it is a costly and painful process for people, uh, but that never went anywhere. So what, what are some of the fault-based grounds that you run into uh, in your practice? Well, there's, there's, like I said, there's, a, I believe, about 12 of them. Adultery's one. Uh, desertion, uh, basically one spouse leaves the marriage with no intent to return for the period of one year. Uh, there's habitual drug use, habitual drunkenness. And there's different prongs into those things, and there's several others, obviously. Uh, but if you can't prove one of those uh, and one spouse wants a divorce, the other one doesn't, you almost have an extortion-type situation. Uh, I'll give you a divorce if I get this. And I don't think that's what the law is intending to set up, but that's a, uh, a side effect of the way the law is when you can't just have a quote-unquote no-fault divorce. Uh, so there are a lot of things like that you know, that need to be thought of. And if people you know, can't live together and they need to end their marriage, I mean, that's, that's up to them. And uh, you know, I know there's religious aspects of it that are probably preventing some of this in Mississippi, but uh, this has nothing to do with religion or morals. This is simply legal, and uh, I think people need to be able to make those decisions on their own. One of the things uh, you, you on uh, the sheets of on the sheet of information I'm secretly reading from willful, continued, and obstinate desertion. Uh, for the the space of one year, would could that be if you married someone who went into the the military? Would that and if they got stationed somewhere, could they have be divorced from? Could the spouse claim desertion? I would not think so if they're on military orders because they have no choice but to go. Then uh, now it could come to the point where they don't want to come back. And I think the court would probably look at the year beginning whenever they could have come back. Uh, I'm just guessing. I've not had a situation like that, and I don't remember any cases on that point. 
Uh, but it has to be voluntarily leaving uh, without the intent to return. Unless they go to the penitentiary. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not voluntary. <laughs> penitentiary is, is ground. Yeah, it's interesting because some of those uh, abandonment uh, cases, uh, desertion cases, uh, if the person came back for one night and slept, uh, you know, for one night, you know, six months later with uh, with their spouse, you get that, that one year clock starts over again. So it's uh, it's something that you know, right, and th- th- that would be a defense to it. And, and there are several defenses to to divorce, like uh, with adultery. There's there's condemnation. Uh, the spouse either forgives or renunciation uh, or things like that. Plus, in Mississippi, if you're seeking a divorce, uh, irreconcilably different, if both parties agree, you have to submit an affidavit saying uh, that I'm not seeking this just because of that. It's a true irreconcilable difference. We've not set this up for uh, the the prong to hit. So it's a uh, very interesting, very interesting part of law. So you really divorce is something you kind of need to prepare for. It is. To if you're if you're thinking about it especially if there are these one year requirements um you need to decide if you want to forgive and forget that that that's going to start it all over again. It's a very intense three-way contract between the two spouses and the government. So it's something that uh it takes a lot of thought, and sometimes those don't run parallel when two people can't live together. So it's a, a tough situation. Well, you have your chance for just a few minutes more where you can ask an attorney questions about divorce. If you're thinking about it or you have got a, you want to share your story, a, a cautionary tale with us, we would love to hear that. And we don't have to use your name. You can have whatever name you want. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are learning about divorce with our guest, attorney Francis Springer, and we are so lucky that he has taken time out of his busy schedule to join us today, and he's also been on a few other shows. We'll give you those titles and podcast dates next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. I love that. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as are all our shows. And our media app now has this great talk to us function where you can ask a question just to the app and it'll go to our shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We love having our next hour, uh, Dr. Susan Buttress as the host of Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, that's at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast on MPB Think Radio. And we're excited today, we're excited to have Francis Springer as our guest. He has been very generous with his time and volunteering to be a guest here on In Legal Terms. He's spoken about wage law on January 17th of 2023, self-defense on August 16th of 2022, criminal defense on April 12th of 2022, and Miranda rights on October 26th of 2021. 
Today, he's been answering our questions about divorce, and he just dropped a bomb on me. I didn't know this at all. You you'd mentioned that now a lot of people are living together, but... Well, I think a lot of people are living together. They're not wanting to take the... Uh the step of bringing the government into their marriage. And, and I find it ironic that uh, Mississippi is generally one of the, the places where we like to say we like smaller government. But I really don't know how much bigger a government can get than to control that part of your life. And Mississippi, ironically, uh, still goes a little further than that. It still has on the books that uh, cohabitation as husband and wife are living in that regard. And basically it's looking at a sexual nature is illegal. And it's still on the books. It's still referenced uh, from time to time in statutes. But the government can't necessarily go into the bedroom and see what's going on thanks to uh, Supreme Court decisions. Uh, so really it's not an enforced law, but it is still on the book. It's so, it's so interesting. That really is kind of where people find the right to privacy in the federal constitution is how can you enforce that, right? You'd have to have police in the bedroom seeing if they're actually sexually cohabitating. So. Unfortunately, it took a case like that to the Supreme Court, a uh, case out of Texas, to get that recognized as a private right. Uh, so, you, like they say in everything, you just can't make this stuff up. Well, it's, it is interesting, and uh, and you know, and, and and I think people want to avoid maybe you know some of the, the the mess of having to go through divorce if they decide to break up. They just break up, but they still have to figure out how to separate their finances, right? And that's that ultimately is what really I think divorce is about. The marriage is over. And, and being a wills and estates person, a property kind of related person, I kind of think in terms of it's really just dividing the stuff and figuring out who gets to take care of their kids most often and, and who has to pay child support. So how does that figure out? So, you know, I know um, in Mississippi, we have different factors for alimony and child support and property settlements. So how does all that work? All of the all of the property is divided by the court, and there are factors that the Supreme Court has put out that the court or the chancellor must go through and uh, make a ruling based upon these things as far as dividing the the assets of the the married couple. Many things go into that. Obviously, uh, probably too much to get into now. But then the child support is driven by statute more than anything. Uh, the percentages on adjusted gross income of the one paying child support are specified by statute. Uh, one child is 14%, two children are 20%, and they go up from there to 26% with five or more children. So the court is going to award at least that if there's child support, probably not more than that, but it's going to stick with those guidelines. And uh, the chancellor has to make the determination in an order. So uh, it's a lot that has to be looked at. We got a couple of questions uh, real quick. One of them was, uh, in Mississippi, what's the difference between an annulment and a divorce? An annulment is something that can be gotten. Uh, It's not easy to get because the marriage couldn't have gone very far at all. But it basically undoes a marriage uh, where you don't have the the parties actually acting as they were married. Uh, if they if they cohabit, this that, and the other, those things can stop the annulment. But annulment is just it ends the process before it really gets a chance to start. And here is another one. It's kind of long, so I'm going to summarize it. Um, a friend and his wife were married for 20 years, and 
she became a habitual drug user and she left the husband and the kids, then she is now recovering and uh, her parents left her the home in which they live. But uh, she's trying to put him out of the house that I guess he and the kids lived in, um, and uh, they are still married. Can she, can she do that when they're still married after all the years he took care of his family? Now, that's Probably the short answer is going to be no, at least, at least not just immediately. Uh, the, the, if he's living there, it doesn't matter whose house it was. Uh, it's become commingled, so it's, it's basically marital property. Uh, now, there is what's called separate maintenance, where a spouse could be ordered out of a residence, uh, but that's probably not going to apply in this case. Matter of fact, it sounds like actually he probably has grounds for divorce. And as usual, it always behooves you to get advice specifically for your situation from your specific attorney. Absolutely. You know, Prince, uh, one, one financial thing that I think has changed since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was created in 2017, uh, effective in 2017 anyway, mm-hmm. is that alimony, you, you mentioned that uh, child support is figured based on adjusted gross income. And alimony used to be a deductible expense, which would reduce someone's adjusted gross income and not therefore count towards their uh, percentage for child support. Right. Alimony is not deductible. So, do you find um, that that is creating any hardship for clients? Or, I mean, it's certainly different. It's in in my experience, what I'm seeing is people are much less likely to agree to that uh, because it does been, or it, rather, it did benefit the spouse that was paying the alimony, well, as well as the one receiving the payment. But because the spouse paying receives basically no benefit, now it's something that is. Uh, frowned upon by most people that get in that position. So, you know, property settlements, you mentioned uh, how property settlements are done. Um, and I, I mean, does the court provide the, the uh, marital property 50-50 or do they look at the needs of the parties? That's what they look at, basically, are the needs of the parties and to some degree the action of the parties. Uh, it was always something I heard that, uh, that she's going to take him to the cleaners or this, that, and the other. But the court's not out to make anyone uh, destitute. So it's going to be a, a split that's going to be equitable, not necessarily 50-50, but it's going to be based on, on several things, and that's one of them. Uh, and one thing, speaking about child support that a lot of people don't realize is the child support obligation – uh, accrues every month and it's due upon then and it never goes away. So if someone starts paying child support on a one-year-old through 18 and they don't pay anything until 18, all those years are owed. And the child at uh, age of majority can go after that money him or herself. So a lot of people don't realize that. They think, well, I'm not getting visitation, so I'm not going to pay child support. It's going to come back and haunt you. So definitely consult with an attorney if you have any issues there. And that's a thing where you would need to have a copy of that decree that issued the child support, or is that filed somewhere so that, like, if an 18-year-old knew one of the parents wasn't providing child support, they could go to a courthouse and get a copy of that decree? Yes, it's in the file. It's a part of the official order and the judgment of divorce. And uh, anyone can get a copy of, of any of it as public record. 
And uh, sometimes parties will say, well, he's not making that much, so I just, I'll just i take half of that. You've got to go back to court and have that addressed because the court's going to hold you to whatever the order is unless the court has changed it itself. So I don't, agree, I don't advise people to make any modifications to an agreement without the court's approval. Can you can you go find out about famous people's stuff there their agreements? <laughs> um, I can't talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so glad that you could talk about what you did talk about, and if anybody has missed it, we hope that they will find the podcast. Francis Springer. Springer Law Firm, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Liz and Professor Gerson. It's all really, really great. That wraps up today's In Legal Terms. Our team consists of board engineer Jay White and Jermaine Flood. Our podcast engineer was our call answer, and so did Jason Klein. So for Professor Richard Gerson, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, where they're finishing up their finals, I am Liz Gill. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.